peace and blessings to everyone. Um, public service announcement from 360 Wise. We have a very important uh, guest here today. Uh, leadership. When, when, when I think of uh, thought leadership and 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 business leadership, and then you hear CEO leadership, and just the terminology of leadership gets thrown around on a regular basis. But when you think of the greats like uh, Ron Parsley and uh, Miles Monroe, you you got to kind of question yourself on where do where does the enhancement of their knowledge comes from and where does the enhancement of their knowledge come from? And whom would actually be in the back uh, feeding them the tips on how to navigate in such a profound way? And I've been graciously honored to meet that very one person, um, Mr. Calvin D. Brown. Thank you for showing up today, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate the opportunity. Yes, Mr. Brown. There are so many things going on in the world today. Um, anyone that thinks that they independently have the answer without reaching out to um, those that have actually been in the paint for purpose, with purpose, and by purpose, it leads me to a person like yourself. And you understand the magnitude of where we are today in the world, all types of crises from the children to wars to disease um, and everything is being pushed through media. So mm -hmm. you have suppression and then you also suppression of media. And then you also have uh, certain groups of individuals that continue to press through the algorithms to try to get the right content out there. So with that being stated, when it comes to leadership, what do you think we're dealing with right now when it comes to the media that we're fed? Well, when we talk about leadership, I always like to start with the definition of leadership so that we're all uh, on the same page. Um, I had the, the privilege to encounter uh, Dr. Miles Monroe. And of all the definitions I've ever heard of leadership, I always thought his was the best. Uh, he himself said that he had over 3,000 definitions of leadership in his files. And so <clears throat> he had never seen one that he felt was all-encompassing, and so he crafted his own. And his definition of leadership was the capacity to influence others through inspiration, generated by passion, motivated by vision, birthed by a conviction, and produced by a purpose. And so that being said, what we when we look around the world and we see people in leadership positions, not necessarily possessing, possessing the ability of leadership, right? Because a position of leadership is different than possessing the, the ability of leadership. And so uh, the, the act of inspiration is, is, is just missing. Uh, people are being almost bullied if you will, uh, sometimes by the information and sometimes by the lack uh, of, of the information, there is little inspiring uh, that is taking place uh, today. And that is the, 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 the foundational component of um, his definition of leadership. And I always say to those that I teach leadership too, if you don't know it, you can't become it. And if you can't become it, 
you will never do it. And so we have people who have positional leadership um, and the, 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 the way the media covers uh, information, all we're seeing is, is, is a force-fed diet, if you will, of a, a story that is, is biased at best. Hmm. That's heavy. Um, I was pondering before we had this meeting to ask the question, are, are individuals born with the leadership skills or is it something that an individual can groom themselves into? <laughs> that's a good question. That's a that's kind of one of the the, the age old questions uh, about leadership. And so I, you know, here again, I think if you if you start with the the mind of God, right? Just you know, not to make the conversation religious, but if God is the ultimate leader. Um, and I think you have to, to start there. And so in God's mind, he created leaders. There's a particular title that, that Jesus Christ has, and he's called the King of Kings. And so he is not king over countries that have monarchs in them. In God's mind, what he actually said that he wanted, and it was a message that he said to, to Moses, uh, when they were in the wilderness, he said he wanted a nation of a particular type of leader. He said he wanted a nation of royal priests or kingly priests. And so if you take what God has in his mind, he said he wants a whole nation of them, right? Everybody in the nation is supposed to be this thing called the leader. And so if that's the case, then you're born a leader. Mm. However, being born a leader does not make you an effective leader. Mm -hmm. There is that period where leadership has to be developed, right? I often ask the question, if the lion is king in the jungle, when does a lion become king? And, uh, you know, I teach adults, I teach business leaders, and, you know, I've, I've had the the, the opportunity to, to teach kids in school. And the answers always kind of blow my mind when I ask that question. But the reality is the lion cub is born king. But a part of the structure of the pride is to teach him how to become an effective king. And I think that's, that's where we, we miss it. Our society doesn't recognize the fact that we're all born leaders. That's, that's what we're born. It's innate. It's a birthright from God, not from any human being. It's a birthright from God. And so what we really ought to be doing is creating environments that gives people the opportunity to develop their leadership, as opposed to stifling the growth and development of people, right? Give them an opportunity to become who God intended them to be. That was huge. And, and with that stated, if we were all um, born with the skills and the ability for, for leadership, then my question is, 
is it actually the media itself that is the most effective tool to dismantle the leadership qualities and skills that every individual has from birthright? I don't know that it's the media as much as how our societies are structured. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's, you know, the, there's a, 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 um, a phrase that says absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, the one thing about absolute power, a person who has it, they're always trying to hold on to it. Um, and if you have absolute power, then you structure the systems and processes that keep you in power. So it's not just the media. The media is only a part of that process. If in society, uh, you know, in case anybody doesn't know, I'm a person of color. <laughs> I have been told you'll never mount to anything just because of my color. Hmm. Not because of an understanding of my gift, right? Because of my color. So if you automatically put me in a category that's lower than yours simply because of my color, and if you're the person that's in power, then as long as you remain in power, then you teach those who succeed you or those who work for you to do the same. So then I have to find a way to get out from under that system that holds me down. You know, if I, if I go back to something, you know, that <clears throat> it's a part of scripture, it's just a part of how God does things. You know, God says, each of us have the have a gift and a calling, and it's without repentance, meaning God won't recall the gift whether you use it for him or whether you use it against him. Mm. The funny thing about a gift is if a person has drive, he'll find a way around the system that's suppressing him. I remember a few years ago, quite a few years ago, watching a documentary um, that one of the news magazines, uh, the video news magazines did, I don't remember which one it was, but they were looking at the gangs in LA and they had a system that said, if you sold this much, you know, your reward is this. There was a young man that, that they had recruited. Now his gift was sales. Right. They recruited this young man when he was about 12 years old. His gift was sales. Right. And and the program that this particular gang put together would rival any multi-level marketing company that was in business at the time. It was actually better. This young man's gift produced in such a way like at the top tier, he had to sell so much illegal substance right but the reward was he got an s-class bent oh wow you're going there okay <laughs> whoa my point, my point is is that somebody recognized this young man's gift right i don't agree with the product but they couldn't keep the gift down mm -hmm. this gift produced top sales when he was 15 years old he got the S-class bands. 
he had to hire a driver because he wasn't even old enough to get a license. My point is not the product. My point is the gift, right? Somebody recognized this gift and released that potential. And that potential went to work. And that boy produced in three years what nobody else did. And he hit that top mark, right? And that's how phenomenal the gift is. It will work for the person that will release it and let it go to work. It's without repentance, whether you use it for good or whether you use it for bad. And God has given each of us this gift so that we can be a leader in some area of gifting. And the thing about how God wanted to structure environment, this dynamic of king of kings, right? The, the media paints a picture that only one guy can be king at a time. So that being the case, right, then everybody has to wait a turn. The way God painted the picture, you all could be king based on your area of gifting, right? And that's that's what we saw in that young man. That's what we saw, um, you know, him, him do what, what he needed to do. Um, and everybody has that gift. Everybody has something that allows them to be king in a particular area of gifting. That's huge. And that, that you know, I've never thought of the concept. I, I never thought, I, I've never thought of it in a way that you said it. I mean, okay, you have a youngster that has the gift of being a merchant. Mm -hmm. But he's out there pushing a product that, you know, is medicating the sickly mentally momentarily. Not, not to cut you off, but imagine if the right mentor had gotten to him. That part. That part. Like Amway was the top multi-level marketing company at that time. Imagine if somebody at Amway, right, had looked at him not based on his skin color, but based on his potential and groomed him in the right way and right. released his gift for good and not for evil. Right, right, right. That's huge. That's mm -hmm. So, so in, in that, so when we're looking at the light in the light of that, in that aspect, it seems like, let's say, let's say you have two different terminologies. You have OGs. Mm -hmm have elders mm -hmm. however you want to look at it the prospect is the youth correct and to be able to speak to them in a fashion mm -hmm. reach them where they are mm -hmm. and provide them with an opportunity and well provide them with the tools that would give them the capability of flourishing with the right opportunity correct mm -hmm. See, when you... go ahead i'm sorry which won't lead them to jail correct Mm -hmm. And when you bring in the elders or the OGs, right, there is a, a something that King Solomon wrote. And so mostly Solomon is associated with this thing that we call wisdom. But wisdom has companions, two in particular, knowledge and understanding. So Solomon wrote this statement. He said, wisdom is a principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all you're getting. Get this thing called understanding. 
So because the book is an Eastern book, when we use the word understanding, we simply think of it as comprehension. When Solomon used that word understanding, this is what that word meant. It meant the development of the skill of both the hand and the mind for the continuation of your lineage. He's thinking generations. So an OG or an elder has a responsibility to go to the upcoming generations and to share that wisdom and knowledge. And then what happens is, let's say it took like, I, I use a personal example. I often, often uh, sometimes when I'm teaching about leadership and this thing about understanding, I'll use myself and my oldest daughter. I've had the privilege to be able to sit with the head of state. I sat with my first head of state when I was 42 years old. My daughter said to me, I would never be able to do that. And I, I would always tell my daughter, you're going to do greater things than I did, right? <clears throat> she goes through college, goes through that track, and she goes to work for a nonprofit. She ends up in the country of Liberia. When mm -hmm. she was 24 years old, she scheduled her first meeting with the head of state. I was 42. She was 24. Wow. I poured into her what I learned, and she was able to achieve the same thing that much faster. Now imagine if we as the elders grabbed the next generation and poured into them so that they could avoid the pitfalls that caught us. They could avoid the mistakes that we made that caused us to get to that place of success in you know, whatever time it took us to get there, they could reduce that time, right? Mm -hmm. and then they turn around and do the same thing for the generation that's coming behind them, right? Imagine how much different the world would be, right? Because everybody's, everybody's trying to make everybody else successful. Right, yeah. But what do you, <clears throat> what do you think is the hindrances of us reaching the youth where they are. Like it's a roadblock for many because as always, it seems as though the negativity outweighs the positivity, the positive outreach. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, <clears throat> there's a, uh, uh, a proverb. It's, it's not a biblical proverb, but it is nonetheless a proverb. <laughs> and the proverb says, you know, until the lion gets a publicist, he'll always be a bad guy, right? <clears throat> We've allowed the media to tell a story that is not accurate of who we are, right? So then we accept that story, and then they accept that story, right? And that story keeps us divided, right? But imagine if we press through. Imagine if we operated with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding with the mindset that I'm reaching backward to pull you up. Right. And the funny thing, the funny thing about success is like most of us know what bread is in this country. Right. But the process of bread, right, is when you introduce wheat and yeast into the same environment, yeast takes the wheat through a conversion process one cell at a time. Mm. Right. So Maybe our goal initially shouldn't be to try to reach all of the youth, but just one youth at a time. 
and then let, let that one win another one. Find one that we can communicate with. Find one that we can break through the story that right. the media often shares about the olders and the youngers, younger ones. Yeah. Like find one that we can just find one that you can break through that story. And then that breakthrough becomes its own story. Hmm. Right. People often when 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 success is modeled, right? Everybody wants to be a part of it, you know? Uh, and so I, I, I think for me, I think that's the key. Just find one that you can impart to, right? Doesn't have to be the whole neighborhood. Find one, right? And then what will blow our minds is how that one will reach out to the others, right? And he'll do the same thing for them. His life will then become attractive to them, right? And then conversion takes place just simply one at a time, you know? And I, I think we focus on that. I think we could get past the stories that are told about us, you know, that are simply not true. How do you believe that we could change the mindset of the youth whom claim, and I was there one time myself, but who claim it was disparity where, 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 you know, we're, we're right here in the, in the grid of things. It's, it's no way out. It's, it's us against, it's us against the world, but the world is so small because it's just a, a neighborhood block, but that neighborhood block is going, it's going to swallow you up. Right. I mean, how do you, how do you believe that you trans transform leadership, the, the element of leadership and how to change your, your, you know, it's, it's always, it's, it's kind of resistance because I see a lot of our elders or, or so-called OGs and even pastors won't even go on the block where all the drama is. What, I mean, and they propagate uh, Isa, Yahshua, Jesus, right? And Jesus was in the wilderness, right? And Jesus ran up in the temple and tossed the tables of the money changes and, you know, so he was kind of bowed about it. No watered down story. Um, because unless they, unless the youth are inflicted with the uh, gentrification of their actual neighborhood, they might die on that block. That's the only way they'll leave that block unless the whole building is left. How do we deal with those scenarios, real time scenarios? But I, I think oftentimes, you know, getting, you know, there's two, two, two things that you mentioned that I, I think part of the, the, the media story, you know, holds us captive to, like in our country, for instance, like if you go, we were talking Europe earlier, uh, if you go to Europe, close to 70%, 80% of the people have passports, they travel to other countries. In other words, they get out of their environment. Right. In our country, we're somewhere around 25 to 30 percent of the people that have passports. Right. There's a statistic that says in our country, most of the people never travel more than 100 miles from where they were born. Right. As long as that's your image of the world, the world is an awful small place. And I think that one of the first things that has to happen is, is that we get people out of the environment. Right. Your eyes 
tell you a phenomenal story, right? If, if I were to take a kid out of the environment that you just described and take him somewhere else and let him see somebody that looks like him, but his circumstances are completely different, it begins to change the story in his own head, right? Nothing difference between the two of them, right? And then you begin to plant the seed, the seed, right? Seed has to be planted, has to be watered, right? If he can do it, you can too, right? You begin to change the narrative in his, in his head. Because remember this, as a man thinks within himself, so is he, so he becomes. Okay. So those thoughts season the expression and the outflows of his life, and that's what changes his world right? So the thing that we have to deal with is the picture that he has of himself in his world. And if I can broaden his horizon, I can show him that there's more to the world than just, you know, the neighborhood. Right. The world is actually a huge place. Yeah. There's so much diversity in the world so many different cultures and that's yeah. but that's you know that's not actually a black thing or, or, or white thing when i graduated college i went to work up in the the my background is in engineering i went to work up in the pocono mountains and you know at that time uh, the scranton pennsylvania area was 90 99.4 percent white Wow. Right. So all the minorities only made up 6%. So I ended up talking to an engineer one day. Um, this man, I just made him nervous. He asked me the same question every day for about six months. And then we were waiting for somebody to show up. He thought they were coming right away. So after his six questions, he didn't know what to do or what to say. And I asked him, I said, now I'm, I'm 22. This man is 63. And I said to him, do I make you nervous? He said, well, well, well yeah. And I said, why? Now, we had worked together for six months. <laughs> so I said, why? He said, well, he said, I, when I was in the army, I, I seen a black man. I never talked to him, but I seen him, you know? And that was his world. So it's not just a black thing. Yeah. It's a white thing as well. Yeah. And so part of changing that mindset on everybody's side, right, is is the inter in intermingling, the interaction of each. And the one thing that we all have in common is that we're all human beings created in the image and the likeness of God, you know? And so till we get to that place where we can operate from that basis, you know, it's going to be difficult to change. Not impossible, but it will be difficult. So to reverse engineer, you, 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 you threw a, a real hook out there. Um, let me make sure that I'm uh, dismantling it properly. You're saying that even the Caucasians or the Europeans, they feel a certain type of way around us because they've, they may have never even had real communication with us which means the only knowledge that they may have of us besides us in the, in, you know, in, in the, in the flesh is what the media is portraying that we do. That's exactly it. That's that, all. 
that's all victimized stuff. That's they're genociding themselves. They're killing themselves. That's you know, no no victory lap. You know, no 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 trophies of uh, success. No, those stories, the Caucasians or the Europeans and elsewhere, they don't they don't see those. So we're back at the media. We're back at who's controlling the engine to the temple. Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. well, let me ask you this to, to add on to what you stated, because I know that you're a world traveler. And um, me and my wife, we when we came back from South Korea, well, we were in South Korea uh, 2020. This is 2022. And I was, you know, I was looking at you know, looking at the mountains and everything from the hotel room and looking at all of the buildings. And I said, you know, the United States from this view right here, the food that we've ate, the hospitality that we've received, the United States is like a big pot of junk food and gumbo. I mean, that's literally what I really, I really felt that. Mm -hmm. and I've never felt that in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I make that statement to ask you, the self-inflictment that people of color go through here in the United States and also, you know, I mean, all colors, all cultures, all creeds here in the United States. Is it also health related based on the nutrients or the lack of that goes in the individual system? I mean, to, to a, a great degree, it really is, you know, but I, I, I think that, and that's a great question. And that's a hard one that's one of the toughest ones to overcome because, you know, for us as being, you know, descendants of, of black Americans, right? One of the things that they do when an oppressor would get a slave, he would change his name, right? To disconnect him from his history, right? He would change his diet. Mm. right so the diet that our people ate was less than the diet that the oppressor ate okay so i don't even know if they knew back then that you know what eating pork would do to you right it was just the lowest cut the lowest quality right that that was available so then here's where conditioning comes into play. We, we, we love, you know, our, our fried foods. You know, we, we, we love all of the things that we learn from the oppressor. Because that's all we knew. That's where the conditioning came into play. Right. right? So if you talk about South Korea, you go into South Korea, Asia, I don't know about South Korea in particular, but there are parts of Asia where there were blue zones. Meaning people who lived 100 plus years old was just normal. <laughs> right. What impacted that, right, was we exported some of that same stuff that we ate, the fried chicken, you know, Colonel Saunders. I, I was amazed, I was amazed uh, first time I went to, to, to Russia, I saw a building. It was a four-story building, 
that had the Coke bottle. All the language is in Russian, but you recognize the image, right? But it was faded. It had been there for years, you know? And so now when you look at the state of the health of America, one of the things that we've imported is our bad food habits. And now the disease, same diseases that afflict us are following them. Right. You know, and we won't do the homework necessary to discover for ourselves to be our own advocate, what is actually good for us? We listen to the information that comes across television, all the food commercials, all the, the, the pizza. There was um, in, in New York City, the, the guy who was just elected mayor in New York City, he wanted as an option a vegetarian choice, just as an option, right. right? To give the kids, right, an option to not eat meat. He was not promoting vegetarianism. He just wanted to give the kids an option. The food lobby beat him up. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, and so, you know, Beat beat them up simply because that's a power that's a power blow when you and it's rightfully so that's 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 like saying instead of taking this penicillin or taking this pill take this take this herb right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because because even with that there there are eight different health systems we don't practice health in our country so. You know, we practice medicine, but we don't practice health. So medicine is, you have a symptom that they give you a pharmaceutical to treat the symptom, right. but never deal with the root cause. Health is about dealing with the root cause. And if you give your body what it needs, it'll make the adjustment. In many cases, it'll make the adjustment and produce health. Whereas you get the headache, you take the aspirin. You make the pain go away, but your body is still trying to tell you something's wrong, but you silence the voice. Right. Wow. You 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 said they don't want to do the homework. So let me ask you: in the midst of in the midst of the homework, is there a mental? Is there a big change from? We had the great book burning a long time ago. You don't hear about that anymore. It's happening again right now without calling it as so. Correct. You think that reading versus looking at video and social media and things of that nature have a you know make a difference? And hold that, hold the answer one second. Stay right there. Mm -hmm. Stay right there with me. Okay. My bad. Do you think so that? Yeah. Do you do you think do you think that the lack of actually reading a book has has an underlining change dynamic on culture totally reading so, <clears throat> so I, I think if we, we we create a proper context right so nowadays a book can be digital it doesn't have to be you know 
paper and ink can be in a digital format. Um, Google makes it easy to research a lot of information so we can, you know, get it in a digital format. So I personally like books. Um, you know, I, I'd rather pick up a document and, and read a document as opposed to read it off of my screen. My thing is, is there's a word that's called amusement, mm. right? One of the, the, the last conversations that I had with Dr. Monroe about what he was going to do next, he was going to research this thing called entertainment. Mm. So entertainment, according to his research, is to voluntarily enter a container for the purposes of amusement. So amusement is a Greek word. To muse means to think. Amusement means to not think. Un, you, you say amusement? Amusement, like amusement park. Right. Right. The word amusement is a Greek word, which means to not think. So we go to amusement park, right? And we subject ourselves to things that causes us to be afraid. We spend the whole day not thinking, just really reacting to all the stimuli that they give us. Right. My, my point in saying all of this is, is if we're just on social media for the purposes of entertainment to voluntarily go into this place where we don't think, and we do ourselves a disservice. But by the same token, if you are a thoughtful person, you can go into those same spaces and get information that can be life-changing. It just depends on whether or not you want to think. And we're back to this thing about as a man thinks about himself. Are you feeding yourself information, information that causes you to change in a positive way what you think about yourself? Because ultimately what you think about yourself is what you will say about yourself. And that is what will frame your world. So do you think that, and that was powerful what you said, no question, amusement. So now, my question is whether it's Hebrew, whether it's Greek, whether it's Latin, um, whether it's Aramaic. Uh, we're speaking what's called English over here, but is this really English? Like, what is this that we're actually even speaking? Because they're not in Europe. They're not. They speak totally different. Is mm -hmm. and then when we're dealing with the actual definition of certain words that we're utilizing here. It's, you get into the power of a word, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, seems like we, it, it seems like a, I wouldn't consider it a trap, but I would say a stack up against. <laughs> strategically planned such as. Um, because if we're utilizing certain words, then we are, we're implementing power in the universe, right? And particular words that we're uttering into the universe will come back and display as such. And mm -hmm. if we're utilizing a word without the clear understanding of the root of that particular word, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then like we're chanting. Mm -hmm. Get a whole mm -hmm. nation chanting something that they believe means one thing, but actually means another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
That's a itself, right? Absolutely. So, you know, this is this is really, really interesting. So if if you know um one one of the things that I learned, this was just kind of kind of blew my mind like a, along those lines, right? The most effective strategy used against human beings is a thing called confusion, right? It's the most effective strategy that is used against people, right? And so when you look at the definition, so when you talk about words, you look at the definition, right? The definition of confusion is an act or an event that causes a release of a disorderly combination of elements that just produce two things, right? Confusion is strategic. That's why it's the most effective. The two things that it causes is a lack of distinction and a loss of identity. Those are the two things that confusion causes, right? So we talk about words, right? You mentioned like Hebrew, Aramaic, uh, Latin. Uh, so like if I use a, a document like the Bible, most people think that's just one book, right? That's a collection of books. That's you know, the Protestant Bible is 66 books. I think the Catholic Bible is 73 books. Um, the Hebrew Bible is 44 books. So it, it's a library of books. You know, the Protestant Bible is written by over 40 different people um, over a 1600-year period of time. So when we read that document, because I read English, what I should do is go back into the original language and find out what the words are in the original language. And then once I do that, I can always make proper context, right? I, I read a document that, you know, the King James translation, for instance, was, was 1600s, right? But they're writing about information that was, was written 4,000 years ago. So- what, 4,000 years ago from 1600. Correct. So in order for me to properly understand like this word understanding, right? There's a huge difference between comprehension and the development of the skill of the hand and the mind for the continuation of my lineage. So whenever I do something now, right? I'm always thinking about my lineage. I'm always thinking that in the businesses that I run, how do they benefit my lineage? I now have three grandchildren, right? And is what I'm about to do going to benefit my lineage? Because huh. if it's not going to benefit my lineage, I really need to leave it alone. That's a huge difference between comprehension and the benefit of my lineage. And that's the difference in language. So if I don't know what Solomon meant when he wrote that statement, I'll end up with a lack of distinction and the loss of identity. Same applies to us as people, right? If we don't know who we are, we will operate in confusion, right? And it's the greatest strategy used against us as people, right? The the whole process of self-discovery to be able to identify these five things identity who am i source what do i come from not talking about your parents right talking about where you ultimately come from purpose why am i here potential what can i do in destiny why am i going where i'm going 
right? If you don't have answers to those questions, then you'll end up somewhere, anywhere, everywhere, and for many people, nowhere, right? But I know my destiny. I know who I am. I can answer those five questions accurately. And every day, I work within the framework of those questions, right? There's no confusion around what I do. And I see the fruit of being able to operate plainly and clearly with purpose every day, right? Because I'm not operating in confusion. Mr. Brown, you done, you've had over 100,000 views in your masterclass and it's speaking on purpose, mm -hmm. you know. And, and the power of words or the lack of power in words, I believe resides on the application thereof, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like what you do that, I did that on purpose. So, well, yeah. I don't believe that individuals actually question their everyday movement in regards to doing things on purpose and for purpose and by purpose. Can you expand on that for me, please? Absolutely. So there's a there's a phrase that, that, that I came up with when when I think of the just the dynamic of, of purpose, right? It's living a life that is based on precision and it's unalterable. It causes me to be relevant through the planning, operations, systems, and execution that causes my life to be elevated, right? So each one of those words is based on one of the letters in the word purpose. So God is a God of purpose. He does nothing without this thing called purpose. So purpose is a picture of the end. It answers the question, why? So when you study the writings of the men of God, one of the things that you discover is that David, King David wrote, all of your days were written before there was yet one. Right? And that's, that's phenomenal. That, that's phenomenal. Right? That God detailed your life in such a way that all of your days were written except for one. Right? The most famous verse in Jeremiah is a verse that says, for I know the plans, right? So it's translated, this is why the words are so important, right? But that's one of the Hebrew words for purpose. For I know the purpose for your life, right? Then the text goes on to say, I'm trying to do you good and I'm not trying to do you evil. So evil is good and evil. These words are here again, if we don't know the original meaning of these words in Hebrew, right? There's this tree that Adam and Eve were not supposed to eat of. It was called the tree of the knowledge in our, trans, in our English translations of good and evil. In Hebrew, the word good, the Hebrew meaning of that word is function. Evil is dysfunction. So God is saying, there's a tree in the garden in your environment, right? that will teach you function and dysfunction, but I don't want you to eat of that. Mm. Don't touch that tree, don't, even, don't eat of that tree. And so people would ask themselves why. 
So let's go backwards in time a little bit to the day when God created Adam. So God creates Adam, right? Imagine you've got this thing that's equivalent to the dog, the lion, the bird, the fish, whatever, right? In that state, because they're all formed out of the dirt, whether it's dry dirt, wet dirt, it's all formed out of the dirt. And Adam is to that same degree of formation. Then God does something different with Adam than he does with everybody else. He breathes into Adam. He takes part of himself and he puts it inside of Adam. And then this is what the text says, that Adam became a living soul. Mm. Right? So now, what does that word mean in Hebrew? See, because you got to go back to the original language. This is where confusion comes into play. If you don't understand that first, then don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be confused about. Right. Right. Because we're thinking morals. God's thinking function. Right. So when he became a living soul, that word, the Hebrew, Hebrew definition of that word living is vitality and functionality vitality and functionality god put it in you you didn't need to get it from the tree he put it in you so you didn't need what the tree had because he put that deposit in you right right and right. if you don't know that right if you don't know that then you'll be confused about the purpose for the tree because he had already put vitality Adam could not name a single animal if he didn't have functionality, if he didn't have vitality and functionality. And when God presented the lion to him, he wouldn't know that's a lion. That was a part of what God put in him. That was a part of the mind of God that was breathed into Adam when he blew into him. You know, so when we think about how God made us to be a retainer, of his spirit, a depository of his spirit, and that's what would give us functionality as well as life, vitality and functionality. That's what that's what that word means, right? Then we had deposited within us everything we need to be like God. And that's why when God started presenting creation to Adam, Adam would say it's this, it's that, it's the other. Why? He had the mind of God operating in him. You know? And so when when, you know, Jesus comes back and he talks about reestablishing this, this relationship it's so that we can get the same thing that Adam had mm -hmm. in the garden. What's well, the garden, right? The word garden is a hedged place. So here again, if you don't know the meanings of the word, you'll think of rows of trees or, you know, fruits and vegetables or whatever, because that's our concept of a garden. The word literally means a hedged or a protected place. God has you in a hedged or a protected place, right? He has to protect your life so that what he wrote about you comes to pass. Because all of your days are written before there was yet one. And so every day that comes to pass when you're walking in obedience is an intersection of time and eternity. Why? Because God wrote it in eternity. He's just waiting for the time for it to happen. And is that, is that, is that, is this contained within our fleshly avatars? You know, I, I call this like, you know, mm -hmm. they come up with the concept of, of avatar, then 
this has to be a, a, a fleshly avatar because we can functionally see each other. But if the breath was breathed into Atom and then he became functional, was that a spirit and not an avatar? You get me? So, I mean, well, well, well maybe the be better correlation for you to answer that for me would be, what do you perceive the difference between spirit and energy? So people, people who in an attempt, so, he, so here again, right? So, so here again, right? This use of words and the, the clear meaning of words, right? Electricity is energy. Right, the the sun puts off radiation. That's energy. So if I use this word energy, and am, am, am I blending all of this together? Right. I'm not saying that a life force doesn't have energy, but there's a clear distinction between that which is your soul, right, and that which is your spirit, and that which is energy, right. So it's a to to use the word spirit. It is a further discrimination of what kind of energy that it really is. You know what I'm saying? So do we today have words to say what God breathed in Adam is his spirit energy? It's energy of some type, but it should not be confused with electricity or radiation or, 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 or anything else. It is literally in the class by itself. Um, and so some people began to use that word because they did not want to sound religious. Well, I don't blame them. I don't want to sound religious either, <laughs> right? God didn't come to start a religion. That's not why he came. He came to start a kingdom. And that's very different. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, re religion is a mechanism used to control people. God is more interested in the relationship because that's what he had with Adam, mm -hmm. Right. He took part of himself and put it in Adam, and that created a relationship, right? He did not give Adam this construct of a set of rules that you find in religion, right? It's only until much later that the whole dynamic of rules begin to come into play because we have been so far removed from this thing of function and dysfunction. So we needed information on how to come back to the state of function because we're just removed from it. We are hundreds of years removed from the time that God breathed into Adam until the time that God said, okay, I want to reestablish this relationship, right? If you think of, if you think of uh, uh, Enoch, his contemporaries, these guys were born, lived several hundred years, had kids and then lived some, some hundred more years. They lived over 900 years until, according to biblical accounts. But Enoch was the only one that walked with God. He was the only one that had relationship with God. And according to how God designed the person we call Adam and the environment that he put him in, right? We're born to have relationship with God. That's a part of what he wanted, right? And the way religion has unfolded, only select people get to have relationship with God. But okay. God created us to be in his presence. But you, you said religion, only the select people? Only select people. Uh, uh, under, under religious standards, uh, under the system of religion itself. Correct. 
in a hierarchy fashion. Correct. Mm -hmm. Be submissive and come in here into this building and right, you're kind of less than, but because a lot of it's a difference between preaching and teaching, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the concept of preaching in scripture was to get people motivated to do something. Teaching was the concept used to develop people to become something, you know? So that's here again, you know, it's almost like coaching and mentoring. Like I, I rarely coach people, mostly mentor people because it's more important to understand who you must be before you can effectively engage in what you're created to do. And then once you do that, all of your doing will come through your being because you have now become something. And that's what's most important. So on, Calvin, on calvindbrown.com, and I expect everyone to go to uh, calvindbrown.com, um, a part of your, your, your bio that stands out and your, um, your business formula, you're, you're the CEO of Technically Inclined, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And, and it states that you are a developer of mm -hmm. human capital. Mm -hmm. Please mm -hmm. uh, e elaborate to the listeners the concept of human capitalism or being a developer of human capital. Like break that down for us, please. Human capital is your unique set of skills, competencies, abilities, including creativity embodied within you to do what is necessary in whether it's work or labor and the two are very different, right? So that you can create your preferred future, right? So a lot of people here again, based on just what we're told, like I was told, you know, go to college, get a job. Being an engineer, I worked in a, um, in a in the defense contractor's facility. It was a huge facility, right? Didn't know God at the time, wasn't even really in the pursuit of God, right? So we call those a factory. So I find out while I'm in the pursuit of God, at, at some point I begin this pursuit of God. And I'm still in pursuit of God, right? But at some point, I begin this pursuit of God, and I find out that a factory, the other name for a factory, was the hull of a slave ship. So while I worked hard to be free, <laughs> I voluntarily put myself back into a factory. <laughs> wow. So now adjustments are required once I gain insight adjustments are required so i moved to transition from being employed to being deployed so if everybody has a gift that causes them to be king in some particular area right part of my life's calling is to help you discover what that gift is bring it to the surface of your thoughts and then help you bring that into manifestation. So your human capital 
is that thing that you're created to do based on the gifts and callings that you have. You know, what, what I love about our relationship is that, you know, I'm created to be revelatory. Like part of, part of discovering my human capital is the meaning of my name. We talked about these five things, identity, source, purpose, potential, and destiny, right? My identity. Part of that process starts with just understanding what my name means, right? Long before I ever discovered what my name means, I was functioning in this and had no idea why. My name is in the East, right? It means to reveal, it means to expose, it means to operate in revelation, right? I tend to always explain things to people. I give you the origin to the completion of things, right? Not knowing that that's a part of my name. And so I take people through a process that we always start with the meaning of their name, because that's a lot of what you are authorized to do, right? And this is what the word name means in Hebrew. It's your honor, it's your authority, and your character, right? I'm authorized to operate in Revelation. Nobody can tell me you can't do revelation, right? Just based on my name, I'm authorized to operate in that arena, right? And so when I help people discover what they do, one of my clients has a has a, 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 a he has a he has an academic institution. They take in students from six weeks, and they can graduate them in the twelfth grade. So I had the opportunity to teach leadership to his upper school. So I take these kids through this process called self-discovery. There's a young man in one of the classes. He's an autistic young man, right? His name is Richard, right? I only share his name because during one of the classes, I had every student stand up, share with the other students what the meaning of their name is. So Richard is extremely bright, but because of his configuration, sometimes to get information from here through here is a challenge, right? So I had Richard, he discovered what his name is, stand up in front of the class, right? And the word Richard means a powerful leader. And 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 when you're saying, when you're saying the meaning of the name, are you you're going you're going back into to um, ancient texts, or so I just have people start with Google. So like when I first when I first started, like just looked in a Western dictionary, it, had, it says the word Calvin means bald. Now when I discovered that, I was in high school, right? The only bald, cool ball guy at the time was Isaac Hayes, right? <laughs> Michael Jordan hadn't come along, so it wasn't too cool to be bald. You know, we was still wearing afros back then. You know. And my hair was so thin that I couldn't grow a big afro because if the wind blew, it would split it, you know? So I could only keep it, you know, a certain height, right? But then for years, I lived with the knowledge that every time somebody called me by my name, they were calling me bald. But then when I began the pursuit of God, I realized there are different meanings for the same word in different cultures. So in the East, I discovered that it means to reveal. So that's what bald is, something that is revealed. So in the West, they had part of it, but not the complete story. So I kept digging until I found the complete story of what the word Calvin means. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's what I had them do. Just start with the Google search. What does the name boom mean? Something will pop up, right? And that's a good starting point, but don't be satisfied with that starting point. You keep going from there. And then, you know, once I realized that that's what my name meant, man, it was a game changer. When, when I deal with this particular student, his eyes light up, right? Because I had, for one marking period, the students didn't call each other by their given names. They called each other by the meaning of their name. Okay. So when somebody addressed Richard, they called him a powerful leader, right? right? I, one young lady, her name was God is gracious. That's what her name meant. You know, and so I had them do that so that they would become familiar and comfortable with the meaning of their name, beginning this process of trying to answer that question, who am I? Mm. You know, and that's a part of the human capital component. Who are you? It's tough to stand in the mirror and ask the question, who am I? And give an honest answer, right? right. Most of our adults can't answer that question, but mm. yet it is one of the most foundational questions in the world. When I started to build the program that I call the quintessential you that takes people through this process, I asked Google the question, how many people are asking the question, who am I? Just ask Google, how many people are asking that question? It was over 1.1 million people were asking Google that question in a month. And I'm like, how in the world does Google give a person that answer? <laughs> you, yeah. know, right? you know, I mean, what answer does Google did Google give this million people? Right. You know, right, right. That's that's. That, let me ask you, ask you this here. That is part of the course because you have um, a course that individuals can. Um, well, I'm not speaking about the master class, right? Where there are parts of the. <laughs> to the public for free accessibility but there's a uh a 30 minute one-on-one -on -one consultation that you provide and from that consultation is that how you pick which angle or which route you will be uh going um down with the with the client like what what is that process how do you so what that what that process deals with is we we deal with these five things to discover the five answers that help people to discover the most most complete or the most perfect them. And you got to be able to answer those five questions. And so, you know, most of the people are already in life. They're living life at some level. I shouldn't say most, but all of us are already living life at some some level. So the Five things are laid out. It's a year. That's why I say I do more mentoring because this, this program in its current format is a mentoring program and it takes a year to walk through. We meet on a uh, once one day uh, for about three hours out of the month and we'll walk through those five. But the way the program is structured, let's say, normally I would just take them in order, their identity, who am I? Right. But let's say you're struggling with source. Where do you come from? You don't have a clear picture of how you're able to do what it is that you're created created to do. And you don't have a really good handle on, you know, your potential. Right. So then I'm, I'm able to go to potential or source and deal with where you come from. The dynamic of source is 
if you never understand that you come from God and you can do what God did, then your limitation is where you think you come from, right? As great a man as my father was, right? If all I ever think of is I can do what my father did, right? That's a limitation, right? You know, but if I understand I come from God and what God has written about my life, then I can do anything that God says I can do. Because once you discover your purpose, it's going to be far larger than you ever imagined. When, when I sat down and honestly answered those questions and listened for the voice of God to direct me in that process, right? Developing heads of state, developing heads of corporations, developing leaders. At that time, I didn't know any. <laughs> I didn't know any, right? And getting to a head of state is almost impossible. That's almost impossible. God has to open those doors, you know? But at, but at 42, I sat down with my first head of state, spent three days with him, right? Got an invitation to come back to his country and spend seven days with his staff. You know, that's how powerful that discovery was. And when that invitation opened up, because I was honest about the answers to the questions, God had already prepared me for that event when it opened up. Because remember, it was an intersection of time and eternity. God had already written it down. I just had to be obedient to walk it out with God, you know? And that's that's the beauty of it, right? In America, we're trying to tell people, go do this to become successful. According to the book, according to the wisdom of God, he's already made you successful. So you're not trying to get to success. You operate from success. And you're trying to move to the place called fulfillment. Fulfillment is the application of purpose over time, right? You're just doing what God has directed you to do. He's walking it out with you and you're doing that over time. And that takes you to the place of fulfillment. And that's way more important than being successful, right? I had a successful engineering career, but if I stayed there, I would never have sat down with the head of state. I would never have traveled to the nations that I've traveled to, talked to the heads of companies that I've talked to would never have made it internationally if I just stayed as an engineer. I was successful, but God had so much more. Mr. Brown, um, do individuals need to ask themselves? Well, hold on, that's, that, that's the wrong way to roll that one out. That's my blooper right there. <laughs> Listen to success versus fulfillment. Because mm -hmm. you, you, you drop, you, you, you know, it's not about success, it's about fulfillment, but uh, how do the listeners distinguish the difference between the two? So fulfillment is directly, like I said, it's the application of purpose over time. So God created your life with a specific purpose. In order to be fulfilled, right, that thing that gives you peace at the expiration of your life, it's about having completed what it is that God says that you're supposed to do, you know? So in our culture in the West, we make success about whatever the digits are in the bank account, whatever the zip code is, um, you know, you got this, you got that, you got the other, right? But maybe that's not what you were supposed to do. Mm. 
you know? And so fulfillment is a thing that when you die, you're at peace with because you've done everything that God asked you to do, you know? And it's based on your purpose. It's the application of purpose over time, you know? Uh, Dr. Monroe used to say, the wealthiest place in the world is the graveyard because people go to that place having died never accomplishing what it is that they were created to do in other words potential is dormant or latent ability you have the ability to do something but you never did it why because you believe you're supposed to work a job right when i was 30 years old i was at the top of my engineering discipline and i had to make a decision because i'm hearing the voice of god tell me right i'm 30 years old my peer group is white and 55 male. That's my peer group, right? Only God could put me in that place to begin with, right? And then he's saying, I need you to walk away and go sit in Bible college. So I got, I got a decision to make, right? Either, either I believe God or I don't, you know? And there's no amount of money that can't. Now I've, I've lived, in one of the top five zip codes in the nation, right? But there's no amount of money that can replace what I've been able to do in the lives of people. Mm. Just none, just none. There's no amount of money that can replace what I've been able to do, how I've been able to connect people with their purpose and release them into their potential potential and helping them find and move towards their destiny, right? Nothing can replace that, N nothing at all, right? There's no amount of money that can replace that, you know? So fulfillment puts you in this place where there's peace in your soul, right? I think it was Carnegie may have been wrong, but the, the, the five guys who were the wealthiest five guys at, at the turn of the, the 20th century, right? I think it was Carnegie, may be wrong, right? But he's on his deathbed. And he's telling this guy to do this and this guy to do that and this guy to do this. And there are all actions to generate more wealth. While, so, while he's on his deathbed. While he's on his deathbed. Somebody asked him the question, how much money is enough? His response was $1 more. <laughs> he can't take none of that with him. Right. There's, there's none of the things that success brings you that you can take with you. Right? But the, but the people whose lives I've impacted, if they stay on the course, I'll see them in eternity. Hmm. Mm -hmm. that's fulfillment that's fulfillment <laughs> you know it is the application of purpose over time you know my wife gave me a placard years ago and it says the man who walks with god always arrives at his destination so if my purpose is to do x and i'm applying that over time i will have accomplished everything i was created to do and that's fulfillment right the bible God said of David, he fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. 
You know, that's major. That's God's assessment of what David did. Whatever his mistakes were, it got them corrected. And he was still able to do what God said that he had created him to do. Right. And that was God's assessment. That's the highest assessment that you can get about your life at the expiration of your life. That he fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. Fulfill your purpose. Absolutely. Live by purpose on purpose. Live by purpose on purpose. Mm -hmm. And we have the great Calvin D. Brown. You all make sure you go to calvindbrown.com or go to 360wise.com and click the masterclass um, and, and book some time with Mr. Brown. Uh, definitely would change your life. Listen, I'm so grateful. Uh, to be able to sit down and spend some time with you. You have a very uh, busy schedule and and hopefully I'm able to get inked in to do this again next month with you. Absolutely. 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 Close with the, you know, because we're going to put this on uh, all systems go everywhere. We're going there. So anything you want to close with the uh, audience? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you uh, for for the opportunity. Um, It has indeed been a pleasure. I, I loved, you know, the interaction. And, you know, I, I would say this, you know, the greatest thing that you can do in life, you know, speaking to the audience, the greatest thing that you can do in life is find out why God gave you life and then live according to that purpose on purpose. Live on 360 Wise, Calvin D. Brown. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Was that live? Was that live? Oh. <laughs> How you feel? We're pretty good. I'm riding the bike right here. <laughs> so I live in the space. It's funny. I told Doc one time, I said, it's easy being me. It's the other stuff that's a challenge. <laughs>